0: Turn in your Bibles if you would. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. That's what a good husband does in the morning when he gets up. He brews the coffee for the family. Hebrews chapter 12. I know it's hot. It's not hot here though. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know it's hot out there. I won't be long, I promise. So... We're going to look at the first two verses of Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's read them. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, Lord Jesus, we just ask as we look into your word that your word would actually look into us, would peek into our lives, Lord, that your word would be accomplishing what you intended to accomplish today in each of our hearts. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for these two amazing verses in Hebrews about the race of faith. And Lord, help us to hear your voice, Lord through mine today, in some way, by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, my name's Mark Skudstad. I forget to introduce myself. We should probably do better at that. People are new. I'm one of the guys that started the church. If you don't like it, I'm not one of the guys that started the church. (laughs) If you like what I have to say today, awesome. If you don't, my name is Glenn. (laughs) It's a nickname I go by. So let me find Hebrews again. So in this text... We're reminded in verse 1 that we're to run a race with endurance. That's what God calls us to do in Hebrews 12.1, an endurance race. What we're living, this life that we live, this life of faith, is likened to an endurance race, of which there are many, many endurance races in the world. I went online thinking, well, 10 10 toughest endurance races in the world. You know, there are some really tough endurance races in the world. I just grabbed a couple. There's one called the Jungle Ultra, Ultra Marathon. They just call it the Jungle Ultra. It's in Peru. It starts at 10,500 feet in the Andes, quickly descends into the humid, very humid Peruvian jungle That is humidity that makes Georgia look like a nice thing. It has big bugs. It has bad snakes. It has everything I hate. It's 143 miles. You cross 70 rivers. And you've got to carry your supplies. It, it's all on you. You do get fresh water from time to time. But if you're, it's up to you. You want to sleep? You sleep. Where you sleep? You sleep. If you want to sleep in something, you've got to carry it with you. Any food, any snacks, it's all yours. They just supply water. That's miserable. That's the only thing I can come up with. That's just miserable because I hate bugs and I really hate anacondas. I just never <laughs> want to meet one. In fact, I so hate anacondas that I I, I went I Google I thought are there I went Google are there anacondas in the Peruvian rainforest, and it started to click into one of those you know which was I could see it was going to be a yes and I just I turned it off because I didn't want to even see them, because I'd be thinking about anacondas for days after that. There's a there's a marathon that's coming up here in a couple of weeks. You could still sign up for it if you want. It's called the Badwater Ultra Marathon. It's for those who want to start low, instead of high and work down, you start low, Death Valley low, 279 feet below sea level in mid-July, not good, hot, think hot, don't think humid, think really, 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 really hot. Where is it in? Mount Whitney. So you go from 279 feet below sea level to 14,600 feet, I think it is, you have, a, it's 135 miles, the winner's done it, I think the fastest is about 23 hours, crazy, crazy. So I just, I just respect people that are willing to do that. I, I just, you know, you, you got to train for it. You got to pay for it. It's expensive. You got to travel to get there. It's, it's, it's just another league of endurance stuff. Maybe you saw this one in the newspaper, uh, the, the Indian marathon. You, you guys read that in the warrior? It's, um, it was about a week ago. It's uh, it was 1927. It was talking about it in the courier front page. And, uh, it was uh, a 472-mile race, 472 miles. There was this new highway that developed along the coast. Uh, they were trying to kind of open it up, make tourists aware of it. So it was a race from San Francisco to Grants Pass. And it was, it, it was called the, it was called the um, I don't know what it's called. It was called the Indian Redwood Highway Indian Marathon. I don't know if you get away with that these days. but and it was won by a guy named John Southard, uh, a.k.a. Mad Bull, I'd be a mad bull. You put 472 miles on this frame, I'm a mad bull. I'm a dead bull. I would be, uh, yeah, less good. It'd be less good. But here's the point for us today. The longest and uh, probably the most challenging, I think you could arguably say the most challenging race is the one that you're on today. And I'm on today. So if you're breathing, how many are you breathing? Good. If you're breathing and you're a believer today, you're you're in this race. Whether you know it, whether you understand it, the entrance fee for you, for me, for us to get into this race was very expensive. Cost God his life. But that's the race we run. The race of faith. It's the subtitle over those two verses in my Bible. It's called the race of faith. It's a spiritual race with mental, emotional, and physical repercussions, no doubt. And the finish line is heaven. It's higher than Mount Whitney, farther, higher. It's heaven. The race is done when you die. And you may think you have years and years before that happens. I hope that for you. I know you hope that for me. But it may be today. You never know. This could be the day that you end your race. It's important how you run it, how you finish. The race of faith, this is really important. Grab this if you would. The race of faith is all about keeping a vibrant, strong, and sure faith no matter what obstacles come our way until we enter heaven. Just like the, the, the um, jungle ultra or the bad water ultra marathon. There's a zillion of those things. There's tons of obstacles. They're hard. They're just really, really hard. And I respect people that are willing to run them. But the most important race and race that we need to talk about today is the race that you're on today and I'm on. We're, We're running this together. So what is faith? It's a race of faith. What is faith? Faith is this. Faith is simply your trust and belief and or belief in a higher power. If you go in the dictionary, it kind of says something like that. Now our higher power is well-defined. It's the God of the Bible. We're not wondering today who our higher power is. We know exactly who our higher power is. It's Jesus Christ. It's God. And, and we learn about him through studying his word. That's what we're doing today. But it's trust and belief as you go through this long life, this long race uh, in God. And so with God... He, he, he values faith. You know, we value things. We value different things. My wife and I value things differently, obviously. Men and women, uh, just we have different perspectives. You have different perspectives. You value things. You know what God values? God values something. He values your faith. Your faith is really, really important. The quality, the quantity of your faith is really important to God. Why? I, I don't know. But he, he not only values your faith, he's willing to reward you for your faith. Because it says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, it's so valuable, without faith, your faith, my faith, our faith, it is impossible to what? To yeah. please him. Really, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Huh, that's not the kind of relationship I want with God, when he's not pleased with me. He loves me no doubt, died for me, no doubt, you. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. He is what? We'll talk about that in a minute. And that he is a rewarder because he values your faith so much, he'll reward you of those, uh, he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, the text says. You and I would come up with a reward for something only if it was valuable, if you lost a dog, um, We've had animals that if we lost them, I would reward you not to bring them back. (laughs) But not the animals we have now. Lucy and Lily are great, good friends. So here's the thing. Know this. God has really dedicated himself to seeing your faith grow, your faith expand, your faith become purer and greater. The faith that God wants to see developed in us is a faith that says no matter what happens to me. No matter what comes my way, no matter <clears throat> what other people say or do, no matter what my senses say, my, my wisdom, my, or not my wisdom, but my eyes, my, my senses, what I see, no matter what the circumstance, genuine faith, the genuine faith, the faith that we would strive for, says that he is. Remember, the text said, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. Well, he is what? That no matter what happens, he is who he is. He would say to Moses, I am that I am. He is who he is. Well, who is he? Well, hopefully you've studied the word enough to know he's, well, he's good. Is God good? He's good. So no matter what happens to you, no matter what happens to them, he is good. He's there. He hasn't left me. He will never leave me or forsake me. He's there. It matters to God That no matter what you're going through, that your faith stays strong in who he is, that he's good, that he's faithful, that he's love. When crazy things happen, did a service here not too long ago for a a 15-year-old boy trying to get to school one day at a bus stop and was hit and killed by a a guy. I don't know. I think might've been on drugs. I don't really know. But, and you're doing the service. You're just going, hmm. How does that work? For my faith, as I'm sharing, what, what, what do you say? So my faith gets rocked. Your faith gets rocked from time to time because life is hard. Things like that are difficult. That God is in control. He is that. He's in control. Does God make things like that happen? Absolutely not. But is God overall working out a grand scheme to this crazy world we live in? Yeah, I believe he is. He is in control. So that's what faith is. It's believing that he is what he is, no matter what you're going through. And when we see him, he is going to reward us. He's going to reward you for the, I'm going to, I'm going to call it the quantity and the quality, maybe even more so the quality of your faith. Says so God can measure that somehow. I don't know how he does it. You know, when you race the ultra marathon, that one that goes up to Mount Whitney from Death Valley, the the winner is one of the fastest guys ever run in about 23 hours. He gets a time. This is his time. It's his time. It's a record time at this point. And when he looks at his time and he looks at his trophy, he remembers what it cost him to some degree to get that time. There was something that quantified his time, quantified his effort. And he can look at his time and go, oh, I remember what it cost me to get that time of 23 hours, blah, blah, blah. Well, God is going to reward you for your faith. He knows, it's like he has, when you get to heaven, he has this, I'm, poorly said, he has this number. He's gonna give you this number. He's gonna be better than that, it's gonna be different than that, but he's gonna be this number. He's gonna give you this something. And you're gonna say, this is how I looked at your faith here at the end of your life, Mark, the accumulation of your faith. And, and whatever that reward is, I will tell you this. It will be, very important to you. Very important. Whatever that reward is, it's an eternal reward. You see, in heaven, it's so different than on earth. When you win the Badwater Ultra or the Jungle Ultra or anything that you run or you race, it's, you get this prize and, and, and you, you, you put it up there and for a week, you're probably just you're thinking about it. Let's say you win first place and It's awesome. But a week or two, you've rested. You know what? You got your next ultra probably. You're that good. You're probably running those things all over the world. You're going to go run your next ultra. It is what it is. It's on my wall now. (laughs) In heaven, it's not like that. When you get your reward in heaven, you see there's no tomorrow in heaven. It's this one big eternal now. It's the best way you can describe time in heaven. So whatever your reward is, as he rewards us for the faith that we brought with us, so to speak, it's, it's a reward that, that's always new because there's not a tomorrow. There's not a, there's not a next moment in heaven. Every moment in heaven is the first moment. Does that make sense? It's eternal time. We're stuck in time. It's hard to describe it. I don't get it. I'm going to be done here soon, you're saying, thank God. So, but at the, there's a point I'm going to end, and then we're going to go on to other things, all of us. In heaven, it's always the first moment. So whatever heaven is when you enter it, whatever the beauty and splendor is, you re- that's how you feel about it because there's never a next, there's never tomorrow in heaven. It's always the first moment in heaven. And your reward in heaven for your faith will always be the first moment you got it. And it's going to matter to you. Somehow it's just going to matter. It's going to matter so, so much. So, so much. And we need to know that. First Corinthians nine twenty four and 25 says this, do you not know, and I underline that word no? Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain the prize, as if you're running for first place, Paul would be saying. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, or mild, or you see it. Now they who obtain, now, they uh, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we, an imperishable crown. What you get when you get to heaven as a reward for your faith that God is willing and wanting to give you, anticipating giving you, it's an imperishable crown. Don't think on your head. I don't think that's what you get, but that's the best you can come up with in human terms. It's going to be better than a crown. I don't think I need to wear a crown in heaven. Maybe... Maybe I get there and if it's the one thing I want, oh, I really wish I had a crown, then that's what it'll be. But I just don't think that's going to be it. I think it's going to be something that's visible like a crown would be. It's going to be something that's tangible like a crown would be. But I don't think it's going to be a crown. It'll be better because it's heaven. Everything's better in heaven. Everything's better in heaven. Every relationship's better. Everything's better in heaven. So I want to talk about today three obstacles. There may be 103 obstacles to faith this race of faith. But I just want to talk about three of them and I'll talk about them quickly because I know it's hot. appreciate your patience. Obstacle number one, if you're taking notes, we make up excuses to try to quit the race of faith. We just, we just come up with something in our head <laughs> that gives us i uh, I'll get back to you later, J- Jesus thing in our head. And it's just kind of the way we can live life. I ran uh, I know there's some really good runners around here. I I ran one marathon in my life uh, to celebrate my 50th birthday. I don't know if that was much of a celebration the way it worked out, but I did run it, Portland Marathon, uh, 10 years ago or so. And I had never run 26.2 miles or whatever it is. I had run 20 miles a couple times. And I thought, well, you know, 20 miles, 26 miles, not a problem. Problem. (laughs) Big, big problem because I got to 20 miles into that thing and my mind said, okay, you've done 20 and I'm feeling pretty puny. I'm not going to lie. And the way I remember the race is about with six miles to go, you kind of turn this corner and you can see Portland in the distance. Thousands of miles away. (laughs) It's six miles away and you can see it. But I was running so slow, I think it was actually moving away (laughs) from me. And so... It was, it was amazing what I came up with, put it that way. I came up with excuses to stop unknown to my thinking before this time. I, I'm too old for this. Why am I doing this? I've only run 20. I did 20. I've only practiced for 20. I did 20. I don't need to do the six. I'd be so happy to stop right now. I'm so far behind the leaders. None of it matters. Even in my age bracket, there's a zillion things I came up with to stop running. But I did not stop running because I had so much invested to get there. I don't know what I did for the last six miles. You would call running, but I didn't walk. Put it that way. Kind of slogged along, kind of a thing. That's kind of how I went with it. So, but we come up with things like that. Just kind of things we just this is hard. I just kind of kind of quit this. I speak first to older people, like myself, really, to be honest. When you retire, you gotta get around those 60-year-old thing, you know, that happens. So many of us, uh, and I feel this tug in my own heart, we kind of retire in lots of ways out of lots of things. You can retire out of your job place, that's okay. And you can start getting the Social Security, that's fine. And maybe you quit your job, I don't know. But what happens is you start leaving these things. And you know what happens very quietly, very subtly? You kind of leave your faith a little bit. Like, I've kind of done all that. I've kind of done that. I've worked hard at my faith, staying true to God. Worked hard at my job, provide for my family. And you just have this little subtle thing that says, you can rest now. Don't worry about that. I don't need greater faith. I need a nap. I'm <laughs> In my 60s, whatever. I've served the Lord. It's somebody else's turn. There's all these things that start spinning in your head like, huh. I don't think I need to run anymore. I think I can walk. In fact, I think I can just stand here. I'm all done. And yeah, I don't want you to think about it with that clearly, but that's kind of where you're heading in your head with it. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3. Listen carefully, especially if you're an older crew, of which I am. Philippians 3, 12 through 15. Just listen. This is the verse, verses that many of you have played around with, thought through. Not Paul says this. Paul later in his ministry, this is later in his ministry. He's been doing this for years now. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren or brothers, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. That's such an interesting verse. Most of the time in my life, when I think of Paul leaving those things behind, remember? I leave those things behind and I press on. I think he's leaving behind all the bad stuff, the stuff he did to Christians when, they, when, when he was Saul. Yeah, I, persecuted the church. And he did. He was really hard on people, kind of a bad guy. He wouldn't want to be around him. The church was afraid of him. I leave that behind. I don't think that's what he's saying. Not at all. Look in context. He's saying, here's the deal. I have been used. <laughs> I'm I, I mature in my faith, but I'm not stopping. I'm not looking behind and saying, I'm all done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm in prison maybe right this moment. I'm just done. I've done what I can do. I'm done. That's not what he's saying. He goes, I I look back behind me at the things, the good things that God sent in and through me. And he goes, and I, you know, I forget it. I forget it because if I keep thinking about it, I'll give up. (laughs) And I press forward to continue to live a difficult for him, for us, life of faith. That's that's the context. That's why he says, as many of you as are mature, think about it this way. That's for the older people, like myself. For the busy people. Maybe not older, retired-ish. Busy, successful, younger, middle-aged, middle whatever. This is how we reason and kind of get ourselves often, kind of start moving away from the faith race, race of faith, into something less than that. So you know, my life's really busy. Uh, I've got my job. I've got my my marriage. I've got my hobbies. uh, I've got my family. uh, I've got my work. I've got all this stuff that's happening, and it's really busy, and I get it. So you know what? I've got to got to focus on that. I can't just drop that, and I'll give what's left to the race of faith. Well, Here's the a, here's a truth. Here's, here's a thought. 1 Corinthians 6.20. What's it say about folks in that situation? 1 Corinthians 6.20. For you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. At the end of the day, middle-aged, busy, family folk, it's not your life. It's not your life. God bought your life. What did he pay for your life? middle-aged busy people. Paid a lot. Couldn't have paid more. God died. I mean, think about that for a while, that God could die. God died. And you were bought, and I was bought, and we were bought. When we accepted and, and just grabbed onto the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we were bought. We don't own ourselves. We can't make choices that we think we can make. You can try, but there'll be angst in your soul. I promise you there'll be angst in your heart. If you drop out of the faith race, the race of faith, because of busyness or success or family or anything. And last but not least, and I say this with all respect to the sick, physically sick and emotionally weary. There, there are folks here today, no doubt, physically sick, dealing with diagnoses, dealing with things that I probably couldn't even imagine. Emotionally weary, just weary, just, just weary for all kinds of reasons. And you get kind of caught up in that. And I get it. I would too. But when you get caught up in that stuff, as hard as it is, you can give yourself permission, because I got to deal with that. Got to deal with that stuff. To step out the race of faith, you just do. And you can't. or well, you can, but you shouldn't. Here's a verse for you. And I say it with all respect. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. Through Christ, who strengthens me, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all, what does all mean? Does all still mean all? I think it does. Let's I checked. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So even if you're sick, emotionally weary, and I have total respect for those situations, you can do all things. You can maintain a faith, race of faith even in spite of that. The second obstacle is you're carrying too much weight. You're carrying too much weight. Hebrews 12.1 says, let us lay aside every weight. And then it talks about the sin. We'll talk about the sin in a minute. Let's talk about weight right now. I, I hike, uh, I have this thing I've been doing for a number of years now. I'm not going to tell you how many, but uh, where I wanted to hike the Pacific Crest Trail in Oregon. You know, the Pacific Crest Trail runs from Canada to Mexico. It's one trail. And so this buddy and I started it years ago, and we just do section. Every summer we'd do a section, pick up from where we stopped off, okay? Almost done. I got like 20 miles left to finish Oregon. And uh, the, the first guy I hiked with, he quit, he quit hiking after a few times, after a few sections, a few years. Uh, probably, he was busy, scheduled, but I think, maybe my opinion, he, I think he carried too much weight. You know, not this weight. He carried too much in his backpack. Um, you know, you choose to put that weight on in your backpack. You, you choose. I mean, if, if REI made it or sold it, I should say, he had it in his backpack. <laughs> he had it. He had everything they, they have, it seems, you know. And his backpack was just breaking at this. He had a gun. When we first started, he had a satellite radio. So if we had a cougar attack, we could call in Artillery. I don't know. It's nice to have. I, I, and in an emergency, I would probably not be talking about this right now. But but at the end of the day, you got to hike the thing. You might have a cougar attack. You may wish you had the satellite radio. I don't know. But the f- main function is you got to hike, which means you got to go light. You're not going to make it. You'll drop out. Eventually, he, he did. Probably because of his schedule, but it might have been a little bit because he carried a lot of weight. He just couldn't get... His mind wrapped around too much of that. I just got to go lighter, lighter, lighter. You know, so that happens to all of us. We just kind of just kind of start adding weight to our lives. There are many things uh, that kind of add weight to our life. Uh, they quietly attach themselves to us. A lot of times we don't even know that we're carrying them around. We just don't even we're not even aware. But they affect. They absolutely affect our 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 race of faith. Maybe you're carrying around a difficult childhood. In, Think about it much. It's what happened a long time ago. But I promise you, you could be carrying that around. And it's heavy. And it can affect your faith. The weight of a spouse that walked out on you. That's heavy. You could be carrying that. The weight of the death of a loved one. The weight of what others have done to you or said about you. Weighty, hard. Can affect this race of faith. And there could be kind of better weights. The weight of workplace success. The weight of being successful, providing for family, the weight of financial success and what that brings. How do you get rid of this weight? If you're going to run the race of faith, you've got to jettison some weight sometimes. And so when God shows you, hey, this is what you're carrying, and he can do that through his spirit, through his word, gotta know what to do. Okay, I, I'm, I'm carrying something here that I don't think I want to carry because it's affecting my, my faith. Here's a couple verses that I love. Two of my favorite verses in the Bible, Matthew eleven, twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Some of you know that text. It's beautiful. Jesus says this. Come unto me, all you who labor and are what? Heavy laden, weighty, weighted down, and I will give you rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't think you'll do well in this race of faith carrying a bunch of extra weight. I just don't think you will. Because Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, you should jettison it. You got to lay aside that weight. You got to figure out what it is. How do you get rid of it? You give it to him. I don't know how to get rid of it. I don't know how to do that stuff. Kicked out of my mind. Are you kidding me? Those experiences are really? There's got to be a way where you can come unto him. Because faith, real faith, and this challenges our faith. So, do you believe that if I come to him, do you believe that? He would say, trust, belief. That's what faith is. Do you believe that I can carry that for you. You have to decide that. I believe that. Lord, help my unbelief for me. Maybe that's you too. And last but not least, our personal sins, not weightiness, not stuff that kind of happens to us, kind of without us even knowing it. Something that really affects our running of the race is just personal sin. Because sin and faith just collide in our soul. When you're living in, in sin and you know it, and this is stuff that you just know you're doing, thinking, living. You just know it's going against God's word. You cannot. They are diabol- they're, they're opposed to each other. Sin and faith. And so you got to make a choice. And you may say to me today, well, Mark, I, uh, I you know, I'm, hey, I'm, at this point I'm addicted to it. Whatever. You know, I've, I, I, yeah, I shouldn't have done it, but now it's got me and I, I get it. You've got maybe sins of wandering eyes, lustful hearts, anger, bitterness, selfishness, pride, whatever it is. But here's, here's something for you today. And it's super important. And maybe this will be something you take home. And I'm almost done. I promise. Pastors always say that, but we're almost done. Really. Sin does not own you. It does not own own you. You let it own you. You let it own you. Because if you have faith, and this is where faith comes in again, if your faith believes God's word, and I pray that it does, then you have to deal with this, these verses. I'll read them to you. Think in terms of sin, sin that's just grabbed you. This is what God says in Romans 6, 11 through 14. Likewise, you also... Reckon yourselves, decide yourself, reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourselves yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. Here's what happened. And I I wish I could say it better. Probably Matt could say this better than I can. But when you were born again, when you embraced Jesus and said, I want you come into my life be my Lord, convict me of sin. I'm going to follow you. He did that. He just needs the invitation. He did that. Most of you, hopefully all of you have made that call in your life. If not, we can start that today. So when you embrace Christ, he came into, your, he came into you, he, 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 he came into you, spirit. And so he now would dwell in you. But, but this is so interesting based on these, on these verses and more in, in Romans six. But so, so I get born again. He comes into me and, and, and now he's in me, uh, you know, whatever day this is in 2017. But when he came into me, I was put into him. Do you know that? You were placed, Christ came into you and you were placed in Christ. So this is what happened. When you were placed into Christ as a believer, you went back 2000 because you're, you're in Christ now, right? You went back 2000 years. Well, so when he died, guess what? You died in him. And how many dead people sin? Raise your hand if you've seen a dead person sin. Does sin control dead people? I don't think it does. Dead people don't sin. They're free. You died when he came into you and you and him. You, you, you went back in time. Know it or not. Get it or not. I don't get it, but it's true. You died with him. You died to sin. You rose again in him. And so guess what? You're beginning to live a glorified life. You'll see it in the fullness when we get to heaven. So sin does not own you anymore. You allow it to own you. You, you give it permission to possess you. And I'll grant you this. When, it gets, when we give it permission long enough, it, gets, it grows fingernails and it, it's, it's going to fight you. It's going to fight you when you deal with the the theological reality that it does not possess me. It it feels like it, but you don't have to. In other words, you don't have to keep doing that. You're allowing yourself to keep doing that. You're giving yourself permission to keep living in sin. But it was defeated at the cross, and you you died with him, and you rose with him. And so sin cannot really doesn't have to continue to be, should I put it that way, a reason why your faith race, your race of faith is is awkward or difficult. You don't have to. You don't have to. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, he became my sin that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So whether you're old, whether you're busy, whether you're sick, those things really shouldn't be an obstacle to to this f- race of faith. Um, sin, weight. So I'm going to close now with one final key. Those are the three obstacles. One final key. To to, 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 to winning this race. To, to, being, to, to, to having a faith that when you die, whenever that is, God would say, oh. Well, done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest, and here's your crown, here's your whatever that is. Nothing will matter more than that moment. Nothing you've ever experienced in life, everything you've ever experienced in life will not matter more than that moment, that eternal moment of reward. It's this. It's Hebrews 12:2, the second verse, looking unto Jesus, what the author and finisher of our faith. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Here's the deal He's already run the race. He's already shown us, if you want to use that term, what a faithful, faithful person, how, how to navigate difficulties that you and I can't imagine. Dying on the cross is one thing, it's terrible to be brutal, but dying on the cross is God. God hanging nakedly before man. and I mean, we have no file in our heads for how difficult that would be. That's why he would sweat blood in Gethsemane. But his win, and he won, is your win. Why? Because you're in him and he's in you. If you want to, in a sense, win, if I can use that term, your win's different than my you're not, you're not against me. I'm not against you. You're on your own race here. We're all running together, like that marathon. We're all running together, but you're on your own race. I'm with you. I'm running my race with you. But his win is your win. Super important. Super important that you know that. If I was a halfback, and I'm not, I never was, but if I was a halfback, excuse me, in the big game, we got one play left. We're down we're down three, po- we're down four points. One play. And I'm the halfback. And we go to huddle up. And the coach says, quarterback, call whatever you want. I would look to the quarterback, I say, give me the ball and put Chad Hansen in front of me. <laughs> <clears throat> and we will win. Because Chad Hansen in that moment, I know Chad, he would be so amped up that he would make a hole in their line the size of a small state. And all I would have to do, all I would have to do to win the game is to stay behind you know who, Big Chad. Don't drop the ball. Keep your eye on the back of Chad and watch for body parts and just stay close and keep going. And we're going to score because I'm behind, excuse me, Big Chad. That's how, that would be the play I would call. Don't give me the ball without big Chad in front of me because I ain't going to score nothing. I'm not going to score anything for you, but put me behind the big guy and we're going to win because I'm on Chad's team. Chad's going to make a way. That's what happened at the cross. You're on God's team. He's already won this thing for you. He's, run, he's, he's won your race technically. So what you have to do to really thrive in this race of faith is you got to stay really close to Him. Just keep your eyes on Him. Keep your eyes on Him. Don't look around Him. It'll be scary. Don't look at the the other guys. Uh I don't think so. Just stay really close. Don't drop the ball. And I promise you, you'll win. Because He's already won. He'll make a way. He's God. He's running right in front of you. He will make a way. When I was in that Portland Marathon... I had two choices the last six miles. I could look at the city that was actually moving away from me as I was running towards it. It seemed, or I could do this. I could look at somebody right in front of me. Forget looking at the city; it's a zillion miles away. I'd run for days, and it's still like right there, a million miles away. It looked like if I just looked at somebody in front of me. Just, I just ugh, don't look at that. Just find somebody in front of me about my pace, which was not snail pace, but was another snail. Then. I could do it because I just focused on them. And eventually you focus on them long enough. One day you finally, finally end up in the city. Like, oh, I'm here. And then there's a finish line. And oh boy, this feels good. Oh, it feels bad. It feels a lot of things. But, but so you don't, you don't look way out there. You just find somebody that's just running. God will run your pace. I promise you he'll run your pace. Whatever pace it is. Fast, slow. He'll run your pace. Duck in behind him. Keep your eyes on the prize. It's him. He's the prize. He's the prize. Okay. And he he sits now, <clears throat> having won the race himself, and won the race for you. Technically, he sits now, the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for you, watching you and saying, "Oh Lord God, Father, help, help." Scud said he's a mess. He's a mess. You do something to help him. Would you? Oh yeah. Okay. I can see him waning in his faith. He just did that sur- service for that fifteen-year-old four- boy. He's like going, "Ooh, my faith is rocked." I can see that in Mark. I just, yeah, and God does that. He ministers to you. He just does. He's looking out for you. And so today, we're truly that close to being done. The beginning of the race, there's always a beginning to a race, right? The gun, starting line, every race. People just don't start wherever they want to start. That's the beginning of the race that I'm talking about. It's the waters of baptism. It's, it's, it's embracing God ultimately is what it is, embracing the lordship of God in your life, acknowledging that you're a sin and you want your life to line up with his word, whatever that costs you, that may be you today. And you say, well, I I haven't started the race you're talking about. You can, you can. That's not the bad water marathon. That's a good water marathon right there. Let them run the bad water one all they want. This is the good one. This is the one you want. And so that opportunity is for you after this service. Chad, I think we'll be baptizing you, baptizing all that would like to just say, I'm starting my race today. And so you guys have been wonderful. Thanks for hanging out in the heat. Let me pray. And then uh, you go about your big, beautiful weekend, okay? So Lord God, thank you for um, the kindness of people, Lord, that are willing to sit out in the sun and probably bake a little bit. Um, just to hear your word and do it graciously and kindly. And God, I pray you give them back for that time spent, for the energy spent of being here today. And Lord God, we just pray that your word would have its way in our lives. God, I would ask that each of us would, would be um, just maybe more aware of this race that we are in because we're believers and we're breathing. And that Jesus, that you would be helping us grow our faith, in quantity and in quality. And I know, Lord, that comes with difficulty. That's why it's an endurance race. The victory comes through heartache and working through it and keeping going and continuing to believe and trust that you are are good and that you are in control and that you are for us and that you are in us. And so Jesus, have your way, grow our faith. Thank you for being a God that rewards us for a faith that you've probably instilled in us more than anything and maintained in us. You're so good. You make it look like it was all us, but really it was all you. And you reward us for that. What an amazing God. So help us run the race well here at Edgewater individually in our families. Lord, have your way in our lives in Jesus name. Amen.